How much revenue does a broker dealer generate from their advisors? That is today's question on the Transition to RA question and answer series. It is question number 55. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. Uh, if you're not already there, head on over to transitiontora.com. Uh, you'll be able to find the show notes from this episode, uh, as well as all of the other resources I have to help advisors understand and explore the RA model. Again, transitiontora.com. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about how does a broker dealer generate revenue from their advisors? So if you are currently at a broker dealer, the question is, okay, well, how much revenue is, is my firm making from me? I'm going to explain why I think this is important for you to understand. Uh, but it also begs the question, well, why is, why is an RIA guy like myself talking about how broker dealers generate revenue? And, and I'll give you some reasons, but at its very highest level, the reality is because one of the big factors, not the only factor, but one of the big factors of why advisors leave that broker-dealer world, leave that wirehouse world, leave that independent broker-dealer world type environment, and move into the RA models for the economics of it. And so it's important to understand how those economics work. And that's something uh, I help advisors with on a one-on-one -on -one basis. I've made uh, other episodes on the topic as well. Uh, I've talked about how a custodian generates revenue. And so on, on this episode, we're going to talk about, well, how does a broker-dealer generate revenue? So for those of you that are at a broker-dealer and you want to compare, okay, what is your current situation now? And, and so part of that is, well, what do you generate? What do you earn? And then and what does your firm make? And again, as you, as you potentially consider and explore the RA model, this will give you a better appreciation for kind of what your, your, your base situation is right now. But, but just a couple quick reasons why I think this is important for you as an advisor, if you're in that broker-dealer environment, to understand these topics. And so what, what prompted me to make this video now is it's that time of year when, when, when the large broker dealers are coming out, updating their, their annual compensation plans for advisors, which, which of course is a whole nother conversation about the, the, how silly it is that they do this on an annual basis and it's constantly tweaking it. And I could, I could rant and rave about, about that process on, on an entirely separate episode just by itself. But the, the reality is that, that that's what's occurring right now. And okay, here's the comp plan for next year. Here's what we've changed, you know, things like that. And the, and the reality is you, you will want to appreciate if you were one of the advisors in that situation, the, the objective behind the firm, the broker dealer, when they are, when they are making those comp plans or making the changes to comp plans. And the, the reality is, and don't, I always say, don't blame the executives that are making those decisions uh, behind the scenes, because the reality is, your broker dealer is a company, and a company's one of the a, one of the main objectives of a company, particularly a publicly traded company, is to maximize profitability. So those executives are tasked with finding ways to maximize profitability. So one of the main ways they do that with the advisor comp plans is to say, hey. How much can we squeeze the advisor? Squeeze them, squeeze them, squeeze them on their comp, but but fall just short of the point where we've we've squeezed them so hard that 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 forces them to leave or or or, or encourages them to end up leaving and going in a different direction. But make no mistake, they want to get as close to that line as possible, and and just know they don't do it all at once. That's the it's the proverbial death by a thousand cuts. That every year, that's in part why they they change these things every year. Every year they just shave off another little piece and they're just pushing you and pushing you and squeezing you and squeezing you and hoping 
you don't leave. And so part of just understanding all that is, okay, well, how, how many different ways is the broker dealer making money from me? And again, that's, that's what we're going to be talking about here. Um, uh, you know, kind of a, another way to frame that same topic. And I've done a separate episode on this. I've written a number of articles on this is, is I always encourage advisors to think of their payouts differently than, than you most likely do by default. And so what I mean by that is imagine you're a, a million dollar uh, producing advisor. And for that, we're just going to use some simple numbers here. Your, your payout at a large firm might be 40%. And so you think, okay, well, I've retained 400,000. And I always encourage advisors, and I encourage you is look at that differently. Don't think of it as, oh, my payout's 40%. Think of it as Okay, the firm is retaining 60% or put differently, me as the advisor, I'm generating a million dollars in fees and commissions every year, and I'm paying the broker dealer, again, if it was 60%, the inverse, $600,000 a year for all the services they provide me in return. And, and to be fair, they do provide services. They might give you an office, they might give you staff, uh, technology, things like that. So they're providing you value. But you know, part of the big exercise when, when advisors are exploring the RA model is to say, well, am I getting enough value for what that, that dollar amount I'm paying? And so just what I want you to be thinking about is, is one, think about that inverse. So if you are that million dollar advisor, get a 40% payout, you are paying $600,000 to the firm, but don't think that's the only way they're making revenue off you. It's not just $600,000. And again, that's what we're going to dive into on this episode. They, they do make quite a bit more off of you than just that. And, and again, to be fair, they, they have expenses that they need to cover on their own. They are a for-profit business. They deserve to be able to make uh, a profit margin and, and all those sorts of things. The question is, are you getting your fair value from all that? Uh, and then the final point of why we're, why we're doing this episode uh, now is... Uh, one of the big ways, which we're going to talk about, that a broker dealer, and to be fair, even custodians, again, I talked about that in, this, in a separate episode, generates revenue is on interest rates, or is as a result of interest rates, particularly cash spreads. And so, and I'm going to get into that. But the, the point is, we are arguably on the verge of interest rates for the first time in, in, since the pandemic began, going to start increasing in the coming year and the years to follow. And so, those broker dealers and that revenue source is about to explode in a big way. Now, to be fair, uh, the interest rates have to go up quite a bit just to get broker dealers back to where they were a couple of year ago, uh, years ago. But make no mistake, from, from where they are now, from the, the revenue they're generating from interest rates, arguably will be much higher in the next couple of years if and when interest rates do uh, go up as, as the, the, the market seems to anticipate will happen. So, as we dive into the, the list of how broker dealers generate revenue from their advisors, one of the variables to keep in mind, and I wrote a whole article on this, I'll link to in the show notes, is a, is a thing called compensable revenue. So this is a term you may or may not have heard of before, but it's it's certainly a term used inside uh, broker dealers and in, in, in large firms like that. I worked at such a firm. I sat through plenty of meetings where compensable revenues were being discussed. And what compensable revenues mean are of the revenues we generate as a broker dealer, uh, which, which part of that do we have to compensate the advisor on? Again, hence compensable revenues and, and, and obviously the inverse is non-compensable revenues. So an example of a compensable revenue is your fees and commissions where in turn they, they've uh, told you they will give you a payout back to that where, okay, every dollar that comes in, we're maybe gonna pay you out 40 cents on the dollar, whatever the case is. So they are compensating you on that revenue. There are other revenue sources, and then we're gonna to get into that, that they do not compensate you on. And so obviously there is an incentive 
for firms to say, hey, and this does happen, hey, how can we, how can we increase the non-compensable revenues we as a firm are generating? And how can we reduce the compensable revenues? And so one way you reduce them is squeezing you on those compensation plans while also encouraging you over here on the non-compensable to maybe, oh, uh, encourage or force you to introduce banking products to your clients that you are not compensated on. So uh, a thing to keep in mind as we go through this, I'll try to remember just to point out compensable versus non-compensable, but but you would probably know anyways, because you know what you're getting paid on. Um, and and the, the final kind of takeaway on this, and I'll give you an example, early in my career, when I was I was at a large and, and I was in the independent broker dealer channel of that firm at the time. And I remember the, the firm was rolling out. They ended up, they ended up rolling it out. And then, then years later, for a couple of different reasons, kind of rolled it back. But uh, there was this idea to say, hey, let's let's uh, pay our advisors a payout. And I'm going to use real simple numbers here. It's much more complicated. But and hey, we're going to give them a 90% payout at the highest level, the highest producers. Uh, and then it depends on what what production level those advisors are, we will also give them deferred comp on top of that. And I remember the highest level of deferred comp uh, was 10%. And, and so then early in my career, before I knew a lot of what we're going to talk about on today's episode, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if you're paying out the advisor 90%, and then there's a scenario where you might go and turn around and give them another 10%, 90 plus 10, obviously 100%, that's crazy. The firm's not making any money. And no, the reality is, they are making money from a lot of these non-compensable uh, revenue sources that we're going to dive into. So again, don't think of just your payout as we go through this. So to, to go through the list, uh, this is in no particular order except for, for maybe the first one because that's the most obvious one. And then, and then after that, no order after that, not by size of revenue source or anything like that. Uh, but again, I think it's important that you understand these and, and think about it. So the first one is just payout. That Everyone generally understands what that is. Okay, hey, Every dollar that comes in, I get the 40 cents. And, and again, I, I want you to think of it as the, the inverse. Think of the opposite is actually what you are paying. But regardless, uh, the firm does make money. So every dollar that you bring in, if they're giving you 40% payout, they are retaining 60%, so 60 cents on the dollar. That is revenue for them. Uh, again, to be fair, they provide they are providing you value in return for that, and they have to cover their own expenses and their costs, and they, they deserve to make a, a profit in there as well. The question is, would you rather share in more of that profit margin, perhaps again in the RA model? That's why this comes up so often with, with folks exploring the RA model. Or would you let? Would you rather have them uh, uh, earn in that profit margin themselves? So payout, simplest example, that is a compensable revenue. So the money comes in, they do have to compensate you on it. Is the payout or the, the fees and commissions generated main major, not necessarily the main, but major revenue source for a broker dealer? So next up, I alluded to this, is, is uh, interest rates uh, allow broker-dealers to generate a cash spread on the free cash in an account. Now, right now, because interest rates are so low, this is kind of a moot point. But under more normal circumstances, what, how that broker-dealer is making money is, as you know, your client's cash is sweeping to some sort of uh, investment earning vehicle. It's typically an in-house bank for most uh, larger broker dealers. And you typically don't have a choice where it sweeps. There's only one option. And again, it's usually to an affiliated bank uh, of the broker dealer. And so what the broker dealer does is say, okay, hey, your clients, your free cash in the account, when it sweeps over, we will pay them interest on that. 
Um, and right now, again, I get it's uh, interest rates are so low, but under normal circumstances, they're going to have to pay them a competitive rate. But then they will take that cash and lend it back out at a significant, significantly higher rate to borrowers. And again, that's banking 101. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But the, the reality is banks have an or the broker dealers have an incentive to pay your clients as little as possible. Uh, to still be competitive with the marketplace and interest rates. And, and then they make that spread from what they can loan it back out. And it's fair. They have risks involved. They have costs involved of, of actually being able to loan the money out. So not, not a cakewalk, but that is very lucrative business for uh, a broker dealer. And, and you might think, well, I don't really keep that much cash in my account. Uh, I've even heard some advisors say, I don't, I don't keep any cash. And the reality is, no, you always have some cash because there's always dividends perhaps paying off. There's bond interest being paid. Uh, you have to have some cash to generate to pull your fee from. So there's always some cash. And then some advisors even have more because they're more tactical maybe and they, they get defensive and move positions into cash. But in aggregate, when you take you and perhaps 10,000 plus other advisors and all of their clients, that is an enormous amount of money that is sweeping. And again, they're making that interest rate spread off of. Uh, and there was a time, depending on the firm you were at, that you were maybe paid on some degree of cash balances, that that typically because of Reg BI for the most part has gone away. It certainly has gone away right now with with uh, interest rates how they are. Uh, but for the most part, that's non compensable uh, and is very good uh, revenue generator for a broker dealer. Uh, next up, and you typically see this more in the independent broker dealer model, is in addition to the payout, there's also other fees, and I, and I always point out, uh, and, and then you can have those. Other fees in the on the wirehouse employee uh, model world as well. Um, but a typical conversation I have, especially with an advisor, say at an independent broker dealer, and I say, "Well, what's your payout?" And they say, "So I'm I'm getting a high payout. I'm getting ninety percent or something." And almost ninety nine percent of the time, when you start peeling back the onion, it's like, "Well, okay, let's talk about some of the other fees you're paying." And and the reality is that payout in in aggregate is actually something meaningfully less. So an example of how it's meaningfully less is. You have these high payout numbers, but then oftentimes in advisory accounts, there's also a platform fee or an advisory fee, and it's usually expressed in basis points. So it might be, oh, yes, advisor, you get a 90% payout, but we're also charging your client a 25 basis point, a 35 basis point platform fee of which you, advisor, it's non-compensable. You don't get any of that. And so if you think about it, you think, well, I charge my client 1%, perhaps, easy example, um, and I get 90% of this. You say, oh, no, I'm getting my full 90. But no, if the if the client's being charged 1% for your services, and then in addition, another platform fee of 25 basis points or 35 basis points, the client is really paying, uh, so we'll say it's uh, 25 basis points. The client is really paying 125 basis points. They don't care who's getting what behind the scenes. They just know they are paying 125. You are only getting 90% of the 100 basis point fee that you're charging. So you're really getting 90 cents out of every 125 cents that comes in. And when you do that math, that is definitely less than a 90% payout. Whereas in the RAA world, you could uh, receive more of that spread along the way. So just know that. Uh, platform fees is another usually non-compensable uh, revenue source for broker-dealers. Uh, next up is lending. This is wonderful business for a broker-dealer. So what I mean by lending, and there's, there are some other lending sources, but I'm not referring to mortgages and things like that, which, which you might be actually pressured into 
encouraging or forcing your clients to use in-house resources. And, and, and to be fair, maybe they they have your firm has some great mortgage resources and, and it is a good resource. I, I don't want to disparage in that sense, but what I'm referring to more here is things like margin loans and non-purpose loans. And, and then the latter sometimes called securities-based lending. So that's where your client has a million dollars in their account. Uh, they want to borrow a hundred thousand to buy a boat, do a house remodel, maybe even maybe even reinvest it back into the market. And so margin and non-purpose loans is, is a wonderful revenue source for uh, broker dealers that has nothing to do with your fees and commissions and what you get paid out. And, and typically that margin and, and non-purpose loans are non-compensable. Typically you would not receive anything uh, as a result of, of, of putting your client into a margin loan or something along those lines. So wonderful revenue source, generally fairly low risk too for the broker dealers. They, they protect themselves, obviously, as you know, from taking your Series 7, there's only so much they can lend out even if they wanted to. And then, and then sometimes they might even do less just to protect themselves. So generally low risk, very lucrative business uh, for a broker dealer. Um, next up is mutual funds. So if you hold mutual funds as part of your investment vehicles, the typical arrangement, there's nothing wrong with this, and, and it's a fairly widespread practice. It's, it, it's the same in the custodial world as well, that the mutual funds typically have to pay back to the broker-dealer. There's different, there's different official and unofficial names for it, revenue share, uh, pay-to-play, shelf space payments, to basically be available to the advisors of that broker-dealer the broker dealer says, hey, mutual fund company, we will have a selling agreement with you. We will make your mutual funds available to our advisors. And for that, you have to pay us X basis points a year. And, and, and to be fair, the broker dealers sometimes provide things like omnibus services and in response. But, but make no mistake, it is a very good revenue source for the broker dealers. And, and a perfect example of, of where that can kind of go in the opposite is there are some, not many, but there are some mutual fund companies that refuse to pay any sort of revenue share back to a broker dealer or custodian or things like that. And so just a typical example, uh, usually the most thought of example is Vanguard, where Vanguard, in part because their fees are so low, there's just not enough revenue in their expense ratio for them to share it with anyone, uh, outright refuses to share in revenue share or, uh, or, or shelf space or anything like that back to a broker dealer. And so that's why you see oftentimes maybe a Vanguard fund, if there are transaction fees that you have to pay with a mutual fund purchase, significantly higher with something like a Vanguard fund uh, and without naming names. And, but if you're at the firm, you, you would know it. Some firms have gone so far as saying, we won't even allow our advisors to, to, uh, to purchase uh, uh, Vanguard mutual funds. And they spin it with some, uh, you know, oh, well, we can only handle so many relationships and we want to provide the best future, blah, blah, blah. No, the reality is it's because Vanguard's not paying revenue share back to them. And so one way you, you can kind of force your advisors to more lucrative mutual funds for the, for the, uh, for the broker dealers to simply not allow them to use Vanguard funds, regardless of the fact that maybe Vanguard funds are an excellent product for your clients. So just be aware if you're using mutual funds, again, good, good revenue source for broker-dealers, generally non-compensable to the advisor. Uh, next up is payment for order flow. Uh, a big topic this year in the news with the, with the Robinhood app, and that's their primary revenue source. Different broker-dealers, some charge it, some don't. Um, it's not necessarily a massive uh, revenue source for, for broker dealers compared to some of these other sources for sure, but, but it does exist for some broker dealers and just, just something to be aware of. And, and certainly that's non-compensable uh, as well. Uh, next, 
transaction charges, I alluded to this briefly, this is kind of fewer and fewer. You don't see this as often anymore with changes with Reg BI that came out and, and just different uh, account setups or account arrangements that broker dealers are kind of merged or managing themselves to and introducing those platform fees I talked about earlier. But, but to the degree transaction charges still exist and they do in some capacities and in some account options, uh, again, that is a revenue source for the uh, broker dealer. There, there was a time that those were kind of explained away by broker dealers is, oh, well, that, that covers the cost of us you know, trans, transacting the actual trade, sending the confirm to the client, those things like that. And that was, I think, accurate at one point. Um, but the reality is the cost of facilitating a trade and the cost of sending an electronic confirmation, which is now how it's generally done, is, is microscopic. And so the transaction charges, when charges, just it is what it is. It's a revenue source for the broker dealer. Again, just like any of these, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with the broker dealer generating revenue. This is not to say this is anything wrong. This is not to say they're being shady. They deserve to generate revenue. They are a business. They have to generate revenue to reinvest into the company, to pay for all the support, all the value, all the resources. But the reality is, that revenue is coming in and you're only getting a portion of it. And so that's part of your calculus is to say, am I getting my fair portion or, or maybe should I look at other options considering how much my firm is actually making off me? So I, quick sidebar right in the middle of my list here, but I, I don't want to make this sound like broker dealers are horrible for charging revenue. There's nothing wrong with generating revenue. They are a business. They should generate revenue, but it's important you understand all of these variables. Uh, and then the last two quick items, there are things like investment banking, uh, that perhaps if you have a client that has a business for sale and you refer them to InvestVeg, and while you might make some sort of referral fee, so to a degree compensable, um, even if you got a referral fee, it's, it's dwarfed by what the, the, the fee the investment bank itself could, could generate from that engagement. So certainly a great revenue source for broker dealers as well to the degree they can, they can get investment banking business from your clients. Uh, and then the last is just, just be aware that there's as you, well, not, you know, I don't need to tell you, you know, there's plenty of just random fees that are charged either to you or to your clients. So those could be annual IRA fees. Those could be fees to, to send wires and all that. Those are always non-compensable to you. They are a revenue source uh, for the broker dealer as well. And you think, okay, generally those are pretty small fees, but when you go, when you go across millions of accounts, uh, obviously that can add up to still a, a, a non-insignificant amount of revenue for the broker dealer. So I'm sure I've probably missed some, but those are the main big ones of a way a broker dealer generates revenue from you and your clients. And so the, the question you might ask is, okay, well, Brad, how much is the broker dealer specifically making off me? So let's go back in, into that million, million dollar advisor example. So if you are an advisor producing a million dollars in fees and commissions per year, we're just going to use simple math here. So a million dollars and let's say that gives you a 40% payout. So again, the inverse of that, that means the firm is actually keeping, retaining $600,000 a year, so 60%. And so you say, okay, if on a payout level, the firm's making me 60%, well, when you factor all the rest of this in, you know, Brad, what are they really making? Does it really come to like 90% of my fees, maybe even 110% of my fees? And you say, well, how could it be 100? Well, keep in mind, because these non-compensable things could exceed in aggregate exceed just what you are you are generating in fees and commissions uh, directly. Um, and so what is that number? And, and the reality is it's, it's hard to calculate. I don't have an answer. Most firms don't have an answer. And the reason is, keep in mind, 
you could have two financial advisors each generating $1 million in production. So million here and million here. One of those advisors, because of the products and services they use with their clients, could be significantly more profitable or generate significantly more revenue for the firm than a seemingly identical million-dollar advisor could. And you say, well, well, again, why is that? Because again, imagine, imagine this advisor over here uses mostly mutual funds, so the firm's making revenue share. They like to keep a good amount in cash, so the firm makes a good cash spread. Um, uh, they use these platform, or they use account types that have these basis point platform fees, those sorts of things. So, uh, and then over here, you have a, you have an advisor and their clients. They they don't use any margin or any lending. They don't use mutual funds. They they don't they don't use these advisory platforms. Um, but but they still generate the million dollars in, in fees and commissions. So just know no two advisors are alike, and so it's hard for a broker dealer to even answer that question if they were forced to, or how much in aggregate are you making off of there? If they're making a million dollars, when you add up all this other stuff, is it is it actually more than a million dollars you're bringing in in revenue because of these non-compensable things? Is it less? What what is the what is the answer? And in part of that exercise, and again, I was I was on the, the finance team of of a, of a broker dealer and then a, a custodian at one point that it's hard to even run that math, even if they wanted to, because again, when you have oh. Well, you have maybe the bank over here making their revenue with cash sweep, and maybe they have a separate PL that they run internally for the bank. And oh, over here with the mutual funds, we, we actually have a separate PL, and, and, and that division runs their mutual fund relationships. And so that revenue share comes in there. And so trying to attribute that all back and then and then bring it back to a specific advisor is essentially impossible. I mean, I, in theory, I guess you could do it, but the, the resources needed to try to bring it all back would, would just well exceed the, the, the benefit from doing so. But just just know that if you were that million dollar advisor, you're getting 40%. So they're keeping 60%. They are indeed making generally well more than 60% uh, off of you because of all these non-compensable revenues as well. And so to, to wrap up, again, I'm not saying this in any sort of disparaging way from broker dealers, but it's just important if you are with a broker dealer and, and if you're going to start looking at what the RA model might mean for you, how, how does a broker dealer make generate revenue off you now? And how does that impact your economics? And then what would that look like in the RA space? And again, that's something I help advisors with all day long is helping them understand the differences and what that RA space looks like. But, but very timely right now with these broker dealers rolling out these updates to their comp plans, if, if you're frustrated by changes and how it's, and, and, and as part of how it's being communicated is, is these, you know, wordsmithed answers about, oh, how we are, we are investing in you and look how we've ticked your payout up a, a percent here or whatever. And they're trying to justify or trying to tell you, oh, wow, how lucrative the payouts they pay you. Oh, wow, we, we pay some of the highest payouts on the street. You should be thankful for that, our generosity. But the reality is they are making a lot more money off of you and your clients than just that payout. Again, there's nothing wrong with that, but don't let them position it as, oh, how generous they are with this, this constantly squeezing going on and, oh, wow, we, we did give you a little extra percent here. Yes, whatever the facts are there, but no, there's a lot more to it that they are generating behind the scenes as well. Again, nothing wrong with that. Just be aware of it. Make sure you're not getting taken advantage of how things are being positioned to you. And again, it, it might very well, and this is a, a large thing that does provoke advisors to say, hey, let me... Let me learn more about that RA model. Let me learn how the economics would be for me different, but at least have this baseline understanding of how broker-dealers generate revenue uh, for themselves. Uh, so with that, like I said, my name is Brad Wales with Transition to RA. 
This is the exact sort of topic I help advisors with all day long is to say, hey, what is your current situation? How does that work? And then what would it look like? What would your practice look like in the RIA model? And, and, then, and then to the degree, hey, that looks like that might be a good fit for you. What are the what are the steps and processes and options of actually transitioning to that RA model? That's a conversation I have over and over every day with advisors. Would be happy to have that conversation with you as well. Uh, if you head on over, like I said, if you're not already there, uh, to transition to RA.com, uh, you can see a, a, a whole number of additional resources. I have uh, all of the episodes in this video series, or for those of you listening on podcast episodes. Uh, you can you can do so that way also have white papers all kinds of resources uh, and then at the top of every page is a contact link if you click on that you can instantly and easily schedule time to to have a direct one-on-one conversation with me to to have this sort of conversation say hey brad here's where i'm at now here's my frustrations i've heard certain things about the ARI model but maybe i don't know much about it or i want to learn more about it help me understand everything i need to know to, to know whether I should even continue down that path of, of exploration. And then to the degree that does sound like a good fit for me, Brad, teach me what I need to know about my options and how to go about doing it. I'm happy to have that conversation with you. For now though, I hope you found value in today's episode and I'll see you on the next one.